Morning, church. Our teaching text today comes from John chapter 6, verses 44 through 69. Jesus answered, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. Well, I hope you're doing well. Uh, Monday was an interesting uh, experience for me. It kind of felt like, uh, like the day after your wedding. Um, we, had, you know, we celebrated 10 years as a, as a church last weekend, um, and it was an incredible experience. We had a big party Saturday night, um, uh, and I just felt like lo- love drunk a little bit. Like, I think something happened to me on Saturday that probably that's the last time it's ever going to happen. We finished uh, this da- the dancing portion of Saturday evening with, with of course, Journeys, Don't Stop Believing, uh, everyone singing, and someone in, in, our, in our church got the idea to pick me up in that moment. And so, like, once, I just want to tell you, like, the mental exercises that you go through in that split second where you realize people are picking you up it's a lot happens, basically. Like your life flashes before your eyes, you wanna say no, but also they're already doing it. Um, and, you, and then all of a sudden you're picked up and you, there's no choice at that point except to go with it. And so like, I'm like, you know, trying to shake my hands and dance like I'm having fun, but I'm also thinking like, I'm a large person, like pretty dense, like they must be having a tough time. Eventually I end up all the way over, um, sort of like, and I'm thinking, you know, like I'm, I'm you know, hitting midlife, like that's probably the last time that I crowd surf. So. I hit that marker and, you know, that season of, 
of life is behind me now. Um, I had an, you know, just an incredible week of reflecting. Um, I, I feel like God just kept giving me these little, like, little gifts of, of, of moments of soaking it in. I got to take my boys to a baseball game this week, and Paul Simon gave them baseballs. Like, we ended up sitting in a place where Paul Simon was nearby, friends, tickets, relax. Um, and... And he threw my son's baseballs. I'm trying to explain to them how big of a deal this is. I'm like, I start l- rattling off songs. I'm like, like diamonds on the soles of her shoes, like uh, uh, Scarborough Fair, like all, and they're like, and then my son comes back. And he's like, he's the guy who wrote, you can call me Al. <laughs> I was like, man, I don't wonder if, how he would feel about that being the, the, the big hit that he knew about. But it just been like an, an incredible week. And uh, one of the, the sentiments that, um, you know, people kind of come out of the woodwork in a time like this where you're marking a moment of your life and, and uh, you know, the, the moment for this, this organization as, as a church. Um, it's been so beautiful. And um, if you're just joining with us, one of the things I hope that you'll hear over and over again as we reflect on what our next 10 years is going to be about is that no matter where you've come along in the story, there is absolutely space for you. Um, as a matter of fact, one of the core convictions of our church at the base level is that um, when anyone walks through our doors, they represent an opportunity for us to see more of who God is. And so um, you're not just a visitor or, or a new person in our community filling a space. You represent a way that our church might come more deeply, more truly, more fully to know who the God that we serve is. And that's a powerful uh, theological conviction that, that makes for a powerful uh, sort of uh, direction for our community, that there, there, is, there is space for you. But um, one of the things that people uh, have, have said to me um, over the course of the last couple of weeks getting ready for this tenure is basically some, some version of the sentiment, like, it's incredible that you made it. Like, 10 years is, is something. Well, one of our elders was even sharing, like, 10 years in New York City is like 130 years somewhere else. Um, it's like dog years or some, some, you know, some equation like that. Um, and I was telling a friend at the picnic last, last week, um, you know, like, sometimes I think the very best thing we did was just not quit. Like, there were many opportunities where things were really hard and difficult, and we just didn't quit. And that, maybe that's, that's it. That, that, that alone makes opportunity for so many other things. But if I'm honest, in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, just making it really is not what we, not what we had in mind. You know, just just surviving is important, <laughs> it's crucial, but <clears throat> it's not the fullness of what, what we're after as a community. And I think that that is probably obvious to, to most of you, but when life gets really hard and, and the city feels really challenging and, and doing life in community, when, when that stuff starts to get messy and it's not like an idealized version, but there's things that really have to be forgiven and conflict that really has to be worked through and grief that really has to be processed and disappointment that really crops up. Like, all of a sudden, like, we have to consider, like, this is, this is a real challenge we're, at, we're after, like, following the way of Jesus in a city like New York at a time like ours. It's a real, it's a real challenge, but survival alone is not, is, not what we're, is not all that we're after. I think most of us think about that in, in, in other terms and other equivalencies, and it makes sense. Like, when you think about your career, most of us would say, we hope by the time we get to the end of it, we can say more than just, oh, I never got fired. 
Like that's good, that probably, that, you know, that as a starting place probably helps you accomplish a bunch of other goals, but that's not the end. Or, or when you think about setting up your home or your apartment, most of us don't just think, I simply want this to be a shelter from the elements. Just the basics, just a roof over my head and, I, and, and some measure of warmth. If you're raising children, most of us have hopes that go beyond, I kept you alive for 18 years. Good luck out there. Uh, so, Actually, this is a perfect time. Josh said the, the kids' vision lunch next, next week is, is mandatory. I can't stress how important this is. This, we're trying to shape a communal vision for how to raise uh, the next generation to be followers of Jesus in New York City. And, and next week's kids' vision lunch is a crucial part of that. So please mark, mark it on your schedule and show up for that. It's right after the service. But So we know, right, just making it through might be okay for certain days. There's certain days where that's enough. Like I, I made it to the end of the day, I lay my head on my pillow, and, and I'm, still, I'm still at this. But, but we don't simply, when we think about our whole life, we don't simply want to live. We wanna have a life. We're not, hope, we're not hoping simply to survive and hang on. We want to know if it's possible to know what Jesus meant when he said, I've come to give you life and give it to you to the full. I want you just to think like, how is that promise being delivered upon in your life? When you think of what Christ comes to offer us, do you think, I have life and I have it to the full? Jesus staked his integrity on that promise. So if it's not being delivered, we need to examine why. We need to re really process that together. So I wanna say I am incredibly thankful for the last 10 years. I think we have gotten to taste and see some true abundant life um, as, as a church. Um, so much life and fruit has been poured through your lives, so much of the Holy Spirit I've seen at work in, in all of you, but we are just getting started. We are just getting started. There is space for you and we are just getting started. My, my hope and prayer for these three weeks as we we're turning 10, is that we can be even uh, more clear, as clear as we've ever been as a church about what we're about. What is our vision of life together? Dallas Willard, who's a hero of mine, who's, who's, um, his work on spiritual formation is, 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 is part of the anchor of how we have approached the, practic the practical life of following Jesus. He has a book, Renovation of the Heart, and then this, it's a classic on spiritual formation. Uh, a bunch of our groups have been through it. It's, it's uh, incredible. It's also a challenging book at times. Like there are sentences in there that like you have to live with for about a week. Um, but <clears throat> in the book, he describes this reliable pattern for change that you will see at, you know, showing up in almost any instance where long-term change takes place. And he calls it VIM, vision, intention, and means. That essentially like if you're going to change, if you're going to be transformed in a lasting way, you have to have a picture of what you want to be transformed into. Basically, there has to be a vision that cultivates a hope of possibility in your mind and heart. Like this is where I am and yet this is what's possible. So, you know, this is role models. This is the invitation and promises of God. This is, uh, you know, seeing someone else who's, who's further along the journey than, than, than we are. We say, I have a vision for what my life could, could be, and then you have to have intention, right? You have, to, you have to make a commitment to change, a willingness to pass through the discomfort that always comes with life-giving change. Like, I'm gonna, I, I don't wanna rush past that. You have to have a vision of what's possible. Like, here's the picture of Jesus' life. Here's his promise that he's come to give life and give it to the full. Now I have to actually commit to, to being willing to pass through the discomfort 
that always comes with lasting change. And that's sort of in the, in the triumphalism that we can stumble into in the church. We fail to mention the discomfort that we have to pass through in order to sustain lasting change. If there will come many points where your will and God's will might be in conflict, and it's a process of surrendering to that love, surrendering to the idea, the premise that God can actually deliver on his promises, that God loves you enough to deliver on, on his promises. But you have to have vision, you have to have an intention, a willingness to pass through the discomfort that comes with life-giving change, and then you have to have a way to do it. You have to have an actual process that you can enter into that begins to facilitate change in your life. If you have, you have, a, you have an incredible picture and you have all the intention in the world, you're gonna find over and over again that you default to your habits this is why you've had many moments of inspiration in your life that didn't necessarily lead into lasting change because our God works in the pattern of breakthrough and habits. Like sometimes he'll give you, many of you will have experienced this, you'll experience a moment of profound breakthrough where God gives you a vision or a picture or brings healing into your life or floods your life with a sense of forgiveness or floods your life with a sense of hope or, or breaks a pattern of thinking. And those breakthrough moments are, are essential. We need them. We need to ask God for them. But we also have to then allow those breakthrough moments to be worked out in habit change, in regular practices, in the means of transformation. When John Mark Comer was here, I hope that when we look back on this 10-year celebration, we'll see it in two parts. The first week weekend when John Mark Comer was here, and if you missed that, I really encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast of what he taught on, on Sunday morning. Some of you came to the Monday night event where he talked about following the way of Jesus together in Brooklyn. It was really, really helpful. Essentially, it's an equipping for what we hope to be about for the next 10 years of our, of our church's life. So um, it, it was so good to have someone come in, another outside voice saying so many of the things that we we've been saying and, and saying them in a clear and helpful way, but one of the things he said that stuck out to me, something that I think I know in my bones, I think you know in your bones, but it's reassuring to hear someone else say it, someone else who's on the journey, is this, that it is very easy to underestimate two things. It's very easy to underestimate what is possible when you have a long-term vision of change. Most of us get so stuck in the person that we are now or the situations that we are in now or the circumstances that we can't quite imagine or, or maybe we short circuit or, or short change ourselves a little bit when we think about the life, the creativity, the freedom, the joy, the, 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 the fullness, the reliability that could be true of your life. Many of us underestimate what is possible through a long-term process of change. So that's one way we underestimate. The second is we underestimate how long it will take to get there. So we underestimate what we can become and we underestimate how long and sometimes how difficult it will be to become that. And we live in a world that is constantly selling us change really quickly through only a few short steps and a, a, a small subscription fee. This can be yours. And then we get it. We wonder how, why is there a string of these things in our past? Because they don't actually, actually work. They underestimate the amount of time that it's going to take to change. So we're using these first few weeks, this first autumn. I hope you've been enjoying it, like we're, we're starting to get into those crisp fall mornings. Um, we're using this first autumn of our second 10 years to say, here's who we're going to be. Here's how we're going to commit to that together. 
And here's how we're gonna continue to change, to grow into the church that God has called us to be. More and more, one of my prayers is that we will live into our name. There, there's aspects like, I remember when I was praying through John 17 before our church had a name, and I was thinking like, this was the era, if you, if you remember this, where churches had cool one-word names. Do you remember that? That was a time. It was great. Um, like, oh, origins, or like your youth group was called Radium, like, you know, something like that. And everything was like, the journey. Um, just fantastic, one word, all you need. And, and we're like, we just want a, a church that has three names. Like, that was our main vision. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but God spoke to me through John 17, this prayer that Jesus prays right before he goes to the cross where he says, let them experience the thing that we've experienced from before the foundations of the world. This is this miraculous moment where God the Son is praying to God the Father. We, we, are, we know led by God the Spirit to pray, let them in, those who are gonna believe in this message, let them in on the life we've shared from before the foundations of the world. And that is the theological foundation for our church's name. Trinity, grace, the extension of the being of God to envelop us in as family and bring us along as full participants in his kingdom. Trinity Grace Church, that's my prayer for us, is that we would live into our name, that God is sharing his life with us, inviting us in, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that our response would be to seek God's presence, that his presence would be at the center of our community, to be formed in the way of Jesus, to live a life of, of, of outflow, which is love and action. Presence, formation, and love. Trinity Grace Church, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's why we had the drone footage at the beginning. We're trying to make this connection between these realities. And of course, there's overlap, right? God, the mystery of the Trinity being a, 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 a nature of being several levels up from us is it's impossible to comprehend being three things at once and never not being one of the three. It's like, but somehow God is that and is inviting us into that. So, I'm gonna say it one other way, this presence, formation, and love. We are, we are cultivating as a church for the next 10 years a commitment to live in such a way that the presence of God is the center of our lives in church. That whatever else we have, whatever else we're seeking, we're seeking that God would reveal that he's here, that God would reveal God's presence in our midst. That would be a life of worship, a life of prayer, a life of dependence. What we said last week is a life of making that a discipline, a seeking God's presence, like Brother Lawrence said, practicing the presence of God, that God's presence would be a discipline that becomes a supreme pleasure to you. Let me tell you, that's possible. The presence of God becomes a discipline that grows into a supreme pleasure. So that's one. Then the second thing is that we'd be formed in the way of Jesus, apprenticing under Christ. Not arranging the mental furniture of our minds to say, I believe this, this, and this about God, but saying, I'm going to enter into the process of following Jesus in practice. The way, the way John Mark put it to us, the, way, the, the, the things that we've been saying for the last few years is to be with Jesus to become like Jesus, to do what Jesus did. You can come and participate in lots of the stuff we're gonna do as a church and it will be some benefit to you, but if you wanna move into the heart, this is it. That we're trying to follow the way of Jesus together because Jesus promised that that is where life is and life to the full. The most 
full, joyous, spontaneous, creative, planned, orderly, uh, magnificent life possible, the life full of the most love, full of the most joy, is a life of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. And at every point, (laughs) you'll find some way that it cuts against the, the larger dominant narratives of our culture. Sometimes it cuts directly against the narratives of your heart when you wake up in the morning and you feel that urge to selfishness or that urge to be the captain of your own ship again, right? It cuts in many different ways against those other stories. But we are a church that is seeking his presence and then seeking to be formed in the way of Jesus. And the last thing which we're gonna talk about next week is a commitment to living full of the Holy Spirit and pouring that out in action. So this is expressing the spiritual gifts, which are opportunities for us to love one another, doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with God in public spaces. One of our our, uh, staff members was praying this week as we were celebrating this 10 years, and he prayed, I pray that when we get to our 20-year celebration, it's the neighborhood that throws us a party. Right? Not that we're just saying, look, we made it. Uh, But they're like, you have become so essential to the the ecosystem of this neighborhood expressing love, expressing kindness, doing justice, lifting up those who who are ignored, lifting up those who are underserved, lifting up those who have been downcast, pouring out the Holy Spirit, even if they don't call that. Like, there's a real energy about you guys. So last week was part one. We focused, it was a reprise of our first sermon Exodus 33, if your presence doesn't lead us up from here, we don't want to go. And this is our prayer for that. God, let your presence give us rest. Let your presence give us joy. Let your presence define us. This week, and we're going to have a prayer for this, is is we're looking at formation. What does it mean to be formed in the way of Jesus? We have this story in John 6, which if you just want an exciting experience, go and read all of John 6. It's a super long chapter, and some crazy stuff happens in it. Um, But I think that it gives us a process of what life really looks like in the process of being formed in the way of Jesus. And it's not like a a super like gleaming, glittering, you know, idealized, hallmark, spiritual version. It's a down-to-earth, gritty, real-life version of what the process of being formed in the way of Jesus looks like. It's a wild, twisting, turning story, and I think it shows us some crucial moments of formation of those who who love Jesus and who are trying to follow him. So I want to get a little context in your mind, and we're not going to... We're not even going to have enough time to unpack all the stuff that happens in the story, but I want you to be able to see so when you go back and look at it, you have a couple of anchor points that will help you um, get it. So a little context in our minds for, for, you know, quite honestly, what initially reads is a very confusing passage. Is Jesus, like, asserting that we must become cannibals? He's saying, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What? It's very bizarre. People are, are not cool with it. They're thrown off. John, I mean, isn't it a little weird to you? Like, this is like, let's put this in a horror movie, like, um, John 6, 66, like 666, it says, and many disciples turned away from following him. Does that freak you out a little bit? No? Okay, never mind. Well, I want to have coffee with people who are freaked out by that. Um, So, 
what's going on, right? We have at least the 12 disciples that Jesus is gonna have sort of a follow-up conversation um, with. And, and what has happened with these 12 is that they've been invited to follow Jesus as their rabbi. One of the things that you'll hear if you go back and listen to John Mark's uh, teaching uh, the week before last is he was talking uh, again, reminding us of that process that we've talked about before of how, how the culture selected students or, or, or mentees or apprentices for rabbis. And he talked about this rigorous, process of training and selectivity that went into choosing the very best of the best, and there were several culling processes along the way until you got to just a few who would be chosen to follow a rabbi. And Jesus like very wildly skips that entire process and goes right to these fishermen and tax collectors, and he says, will you follow me? Will you come and learn? Will you come and be with me and do what I do and become basically become like me? So these fishermen and tax collectors and, and political zealots in this like ragtag group that didn't belong together and yet somehow were brought together have been following Jesus. Now what's happened up to this point? In the first five chapters of, of John's gospel, this autobiography of Jesus' life, we're seeing them experience the thrill of learning from Jesus. They're seeing miracles. They're hearing him teach on the kingdom of God. They're seeing him get up early to pray. They're seeing him eat. They're seeing him do all this stuff. They're living in the dust of their rabbi. But they also have this fear that keeps cropping up of growing beyond their capacity. They come to that moment where they confront the discomfort that is always present in lasting change and they experience that as massive difficulty. One of them takes place in, in, in the feeding of the 5,000, right? Which is in, in all four gospels, we're gonna talk about it in just a little more detail in just a second, but that's just happened at the beginning of John 6, before our teaching text was read, was this massive group of people, probably actually around 30,000 people were listening to Jesus teach, and they had no food, and he turns to his disciples and he says, what are we gonna do? I want you to feed them, and they freak out, as, as you would. So we've seen them experience the thrill of learning under Jesus, the fear of growing beyond their capacity, and then we keep coming to these intersections of long-term formation. I wanna tell you, church, you are going to come to intersections of long-term formation where you have to decide, like this group that's been following Jesus, can I keep going? Or am I gonna turn and go my own way? Am I gonna replace this narrative with another story? Am I gonna place, replace this Jesus that I've been following with someone else? Because you'll be following something. You'll be worshiping something. There'll be something that can demand the most of your, of your life and time and affections no matter what. And the thing is, those who turn away from Jesus in this, this chapter, they don't get the future revelation that comes of him explaining how his words are, are life. <laughs> so, we come to this, this bizarre conversation where Jesus is saying, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. A moment for many where they start to understand the implications in a new way. Their, their minds begin to be... Uh, you know, flipped upside down. They don't know exactly how to handle it and they, they turn away. So a couple of other things really quickly that you need to, to, to get this is there have been tremendous, John is doing this over and over again. He is saying there is one story. There is one story even across all the Hebrew scriptures and across all of what you're about to experience in the life of Jesus, there is one story. And so he keeps connecting the life of Jesus back to the Exodus. And you see in John 6, two dramatic hints of the Exodus story. 
They're, they're, they're right there on the surface. We don't have to dig deep for them. The first is the feeding of the people in the wilderness. Remember the story. God's led the people out of slavery in Egypt and they get out into the wilderness and they have nothing to eat and God provides for them. And Jesus reenacts that exact story when he feeds the 5,000, the 30,000. And they have baskets to collect. And how many of them are there? 12, 12 to, to direct our, like John is so clearly directing our attention back to the reality that, that this is Israel's Messiah who is becoming the Messiah of the world. This is the savior of this one story becoming the savior in all stories. So we have this hence of the Exodus, that he is the one who can provide manna in the wilderness, that he is the one who is giving the food to the people. And then the next story, even wilder, is they, he passes through the waters, Right? And we remember the people passed through the waters. They passed through the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army was overwhelmed and, and, and drowned. And Jesus comes to his disciples and it says that he's walking towards them across the lake. And their minds are absolutely blown. But it's not just a miracle. Jesus is not just like, look, I can do great tricks. He is recreating Exodus. This story of freedom and salvation and reformation of a people to be the people of God. So, there are hints of the Exodus. And the other thing that John is doing over and over again is he is reinforcing this is the Word made flesh. The very beginning of John's gospel says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he, he pulls these threads together. Basically like the esoteric meaning of life of the philosophers and, and the Hebrew understanding of what, what life is really all about and, and how they all merge together. They're all coming together in this person of Jesus. So God hasn't given us a formula. He hasn't given us a list of things that we have to live by. He's given us a human being, flesh and blood, because the world is relational. And this is how we move forward. So, over and over in John's gospel, we're going from a purely spiritual, like floating out here in the ether kind of ideas about God into the very practical, real life, flesh and blood, human conflict, human exhaustion, human elation, life of a person. So, we come to this moment where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. John's going to give us seven statements that Jesus says over the course of his gospel, his good news about this Israel's Messiah and the Savior of the world. Seven statements. This is the first one. I am the bread of life. Now, if you read the story in the beginning, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, 30,000, when he feeds the people, they make the connection. Even if we miss it and they're like, oh my gosh, he got lunch for everyone. What a guy. I really, Jesus is kind and he's going to be my life coach because look, he feeds people. No, he's recreating Exodus and the people get it. And so they immediately jump and say, Let, you're going to be our king. You know the type of king we need is the type of king that never has a shortage of food. At least, let's have the type of king that can always provide for people. And so after Jesus recreates the Exodus story, they get it and they try to make Jesus king. 
So imagine just a little while ago, the day before you've said to this person, I want you to be my king. I will follow you. I want you to be the ruler over my nation, over my life. And then you come to a point where this very same person the next day says something to you that sounds weird and you're like, I'm totally out on you. That's what happens. They go from saying, you're gonna be my king to walking out, right? We see this happen again and again. Right? He comes into Jerusalem on the last week, Holy Week, and they're saying, Hosanna, save us, you're the king. And then just a few days later, they're screaming, crucify him. If you wanna wonder why life feels a little back and forth for you, for me, it's because this is part of our flesh is that we come to the discomfort that's always present in lasting change. We come to the cross, we come to that place where, where Jesus is saying, I'm gonna give you life, but you have to deny yourself. You have to let go of this old pattern of thinking, this old pattern of behavior, and like, ah, gee, that sounds wonderful, but no, I don't think I will. And I don't say that to, to put guilt on you, I'm saying that out of my own biography, like, I want long-term formation in the way of Jesus, what, what Eugene Peterson called a long obedience in the same direction. Like, am I becoming more and more open and free and loving and creative and present to, to all who I'm with, or am I narrowing down into my selfishness, into my confusion, into my story, into, into sort of satiating any, long, any, any appetite or desire that happens to come across the ticker tape of my thoughts? I am the bread of life. They were fine to have him as a king, but when something confusing came as a rabbi, they said, we're out. And I wanna tell you, this is a picture of the American church. It's a picture of, obviously, the church here, the, the followers of Jesus, but so many of you have had a one or two time encounter with Jesus where you said, yes, I'll take you as my king. But then after that, <laughs> You walked away from following him and you're wondering like, where is, the, where is the life he promised? We have to learn to have Jesus as our king but also as our savior and as our rabbi, the one whom we are following. I was praying last Friday with, um, with our Friday night prayer crew in the office and uh, I just <laughs> wanna keep honoring what they do every Friday night, uh, sort of stoking the fire in, in our church. There's others who have been holding it down in prayer meetings across our, our, our family of believers you know, for, for 10 years. And I had this thought come into my mind because I needed to process it and I wrote down this in a little post-it note that I've been, I've been looking back at. It said, we don't experience the abundant life by arriving at right thoughts about God, but by following Jesus. We don't experience the abundant life by arriving at right thoughts about God, but by following Jesus. This does not mean that we have a works-based salvation. <laughs> it means we have a relational life. And so we have to have faith expressed in love. So I'm not saying that if you don't follow Jesus perfectly that you're not in the family. I'm not saying that at all. The gospel says that we're brought in by what Jesus has done, by his life and death and resurrection. That's how we're qualified for an inheritance in the saints in, in light. But arranging that as a thought in our mind versus following Jesus is a huge disconnection why some of you are disillusioned with faith altogether. 
You've been discipled by this massive gap of disappointment saying, I thought I believed the right things about God, but I haven't been following Jesus and I'm wondering what's the deal? Where's the abundant life that he promised? You only experience that abundant life as you follow Jesus, as you go through a process of breakthrough and habit change. A life of formation. So the question is, do we have a God who is sporadically involved in our life, basically along the lines of, did he say yes or no to this thing I needed? I needed a job, I needed a relationship, I needed freedom from this, I needed forgiveness. Did he say yes or no on that and then move on down the road to the next thing? Or do we have a daily life of following this Jesus into the abundance that he offers? I went back and looked at my goals for 2019 and oftentimes when I get to September and I look back at my January goals, it is a depressing exercise. I'm just like, what was I thinking? I am such an optimist at the beginning of the year and here I am. But this year I was encouraged at least a little bit because I put my goals for the year under three headings I felt like God was directing me. One was life-giving routines. That I'm a person who loves the inspiring moment. I'm the person who loves to overcommit. I'm the person who's like, three books by the end of the year, I'm gonna write them, it's gonna be great. And like, I had three chapters by the end of the summer. That would be... A, a, Life-giving routines to translate my desire into daily practice. The second was to champion others, to try to identify people in my life that I can just like let them know I wanna be part of the wind in your sails. I wanna pour into you, I wanna give life, I wanna encourage you as much as possible. I wanna be a champion of your story to find a few people in my life that I can be that to. Life-giving routines, champion others, and then creative work to do those important, not urgent things that no one's ever gonna make you do, right? That thing that you wanna write, that thing that you wanna create, the thing that you wanna make, the thing that you wanna become, the budgeting that you need to do, the important, not urgent things that no one's gonna make you do. I feel like God was calling me to focus on those. And I'm shaping my life-giving routines around be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did a commitment to follow Jesus every day, to follow Jesus with other people. That's how simple it can be. Of course it's complicated. When the disciples get confused and they're seeing people walk away, Jesus says something to them that's like the hinge point of the passage. He says, these words are the spirit and they are life. The flesh counts for nothing. These words I'm giving you, the reason they seem so hard is they cut against the dominant narrative of your culture they cut against the selfish motivations from your heart. They're calling you to a greater life of love than you've been, than you've been living up to this point. They're calling you out of scarcity into abundance, but they're calling you through the waters of, of discomfort into the wilderness where you have to be fed with manna. Like, wouldn't it be nice to be in a lush, you know, suburban garden with anything you want to eat at your fingertips? To be in the wilderness and need God to provide is a very different place, and yes, that's the place of formation. So at all this, I, let me give it, give it away. The, the two things I wanna ask you to commit to as a part of our 10-year vision is will you seek Jesus on a daily basis? I know some of you have better thoughts arranged in your mind about God than I do. But what I'm asking is, will we together 
link arms and follow Jesus? Will we practice the way of Christ? Will we do the things that he did and do them on a daily basis? Will it change? Can we reclaim our mornings from like getting up at the last minute and throwing some carbs and coffee in and rushing to the train? Can we make some space to be in the presence of Jesus in the morning? Can we make some space to be in the presence of Jesus in the evening? Can we make some space to call our attention to Christ as we move throughout our day? So that's the first thing. Will you commit to follow Jesus on a daily basis? And the second is, will you commit to not do it alone? Because if you do it alone, you won't do it. Find a group to follow Jesus with. I wanna tell you, our whole church's vision is that you live seeking the presence of God, formed into the way of Jesus, and outpouring a life of love and action. Presence, formation, and love. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity, Grace Church. This is what we're about. So we're gonna try to give everything we have to helping you in this, but we can't do it. One of the things that John Mark said that just helped me so much was he said, sometimes in the American church, we've thought of, of being discipled as we wait for the mentor to come and find us and do it to us. Disciple me. And some of you have experienced that where someone actually did that, but that's not the way, that in, the, in, the, in the New Testament, the disciple is a noun. It is a thing you are. So if you're not being discipled, I'm sorry to tell you, it's because you're not following as a disciple. It's not because this church hasn't done it for you. You have to follow Jesus. We have to follow Jesus together. Now our church is going to try to help you in every way we can. We're gonna try to make groups available to you. But I can't, like, no one can make you do, go to the group or get anything out of it. We're going to try to, to talk about in a, in a routine and regular basis, here's how you practice the spiritual disciplines together. But nobody can set your alarm for you. Nobody can make you keep Sabbath. You either are a disciple or you're not following Jesus, or if you're just waiting on someone to make you follow Jesus, you are waiting in vain, and you've somehow missed a crucial picture. Now, there will be mentors and people who come alongside you, but they're not discipling you in who they are. Even Paul's like, follow me as I follow Christ. That's the way we're being formed, into the way of Jesus. We want to equip you to do this, to support you in finding a group, to help you in practicing the spiritual disciplines, to help equip you along the way. Some of you have the keys of this equipping in and of yourselves. It's not just gonna be me or our staff teaching. It's gonna come from you. But I hope that what Peter says will become a confession of our church. Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus turns to his friends. You can almost see like tears welling up in his eyes. I don't know. Are you going to leave too? Peter gives this confession. May it be the confession of our church over the next 10 years. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know you are the Holy One of God. Some of you have come to believe, but now it is time for you to know and you learn to know by formation. You learn to know by practicing the way of Jesus. You learn to know by walking on a daily basis with Christ. We have come to, to believe and to know. We have arranged our thoughts about God in such a way that we're expecting his promises to be fulfilled in our midst as we follow Jesus on a daily basis. That is life and life to the full. And of course that doesn't mean life gets super easy and, and un, always wonderful. Look at Jesus' life, look at the disciples' life. 
But we, we have to miss the mistake of the American church that thinks I arranged my thoughts about God in the right way, I accept Jesus into my heart, and then I'm waiting for eternal life, which begins when I die. That's not the gospel. That's not what Jesus was talking about. He's saying, I want you to accept my life on, on your behalf, and then I want you to follow me, and eternal life is something that starts right now, and yes, it carries on past death, but eternal life is something you have a share in right now. The, one of the greatest living theologians in the New Testament is helps correct this mistake right here in his commentary on this passage. Here's what he says, N.T. Wright. Eternal life is the quality of life, sharing the inner life of Jesus, that is on offer at once to anyone who believes. Eternal life tells you what sort of life it is, as well as the fact that it goes on after death. It is the life of the age to come, the new life which God has always planned to give to his world, but the form of this eternal life will take in the, but, but the form that this eternal life will take in the end is not that of the disembodied spirit that so many people today assume is what Christians think about life after death. The eternal life that begins in the present when someone believes and continues in the future beyond death will eventually take the form of resurrection life. The entire story John is telling is designed to end with Jesus pioneering the way into this newly embodied life. And the promise of the present moment is that this life will be shared by all those who taste the living bread. Let me tell you, why do we come every week to taste the living bread? Why do you get up every morning to get fresh bread from the word of God? It's to follow in the way of Jesus, to taste and see this eternal life right now. Are you qualified for it because you got up 10 mornings in a row? Absolutely not. You don't earn it. It is an absolute gift. But grace, as Dallas Willard said, grace is, is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning, and so it is by grace that we follow Jesus and it is by grace that we're brought into the family. So my question to you is this, will you commit to be formed in the way of Jesus? Is the word becoming flesh in you? Are you nourished daily by this bread of life? Two things, will you commit to seek Jesus daily? Will you commit to not do it alone? If we're going to walk into this 10-year vision together, these are the essential questions. Will we practice the way of Jesus together? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just got a flash picture of myself as a child praying this prayer that my church taught me would start my life with you and, and trying to pray it like a thousand times to make sure I really meant it so that I could get into heaven when I died. I just wanna pray for those in our church who have experienced that type of spiritual anxiety. Did I really mean it enough? Did I really say it the right way? And I wanna pray that through that anxiety, your still small voice of invitation would cut through with grace and love. That we're not in your family by how much we meant a prayer a long time ago, that we're invited in to know you, to be embraced by you, to share in your grace right now today. I 
I pray for our church. I pray for those who are hearing right now that you would help us to commit to follow the way of Jesus. That you would help us to do that together. So Holy Spirit, I pray you would come and enable us right now. Help us to realize that the life Jesus lived, he lived on our behalf. The death he died, he died on our behalf. His resurrection is, is, is to bring us in. I pray you would help us to believe that we don't obey in order to earn your love. We obey because we have your love. Because you've made us family. I pray for those who feel estranged and far away like they're not family, that they could come and maybe for the first time receive your grace, Christ, and and have a deep sense that they are loved. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would show us how to respond in these next moments. things in Jesus' name.